The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Throughout the show, I've been telling you that Sarah Kyo, uh, dietitian and founder of Eat Well, would be coming in to answer questions. And this has begat a huge begotten. What's the past tense? Beg- I don't know. It, a lot of questions have arrived in. Anyway, um, ranging from things like B12 deficiencies to diverticulitis. So thankfully, Sarah has arrived. Sarah, good morning. Morning. Let us start with PCOS. A text saying, my daughter has PCOS, her hair is falling out, skin issues, severe sweating. When she eats food, she feels bloated and sick. It's ongoing. Are there certain foods to eat and not eat? What is PCOS? PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It affects up to 10% of women, some very mildly, some more severely. And it is essentially um, an insulin resistance syndrome. And what it does is it changes um, hormones in the body. So women will get higher levels of male hormones, so androgen hormones. So, you know, the famous bearded lady you would have seen, that's a very extreme version of it. So a lot of women will get more facial hair, uh, more acne. Um, they will get some of them, God love the male pattern baldness, which is the hair loss we're seeing um, and see other issues. So there's two things I would say there. One is generally a lot of um, it comes generally turns up in teenagers. So usually um, contraceptive pill can be quite helpful with that. Now, that's what we'll say to a certain extent. Now, don't take this the wrong. It masks us a little bit, but does treat the hair loss, the acne. A low glycemic index diet is actually very, very good for PCOS, but go and see a dietitian for it because there's a couple of other things to look at there. You can Google all of these things, but would you just contact a dietitian and actually take her in? There's a huge amount I would often be able to do with PCOS for that. And a low glycemic index means relatively low sugar, so you're not, not peaking yeah, and troughing. Not even just sugar. So it's foods that are very slowly digested is what you're after. So there's a couple of ways of balancing. It's not the worst diet, actually. It's one of the easier ones to do, thankfully. Um, but it's very effective. It takes it a while. It takes about six months to a year to see a difference but it does work. Now, the B12 deficiency. Anton, I have a B12 deficiency and often low iron. I've also got a condition that needs two acid-reducing tablets a day and I have scopes every three months at present. I've always had bad hay fever from tree, grass, pollen, etc. I also get itchy eyes and I get a skin rash from some garden plants, etc. <laughs> do I need to have allergy tests done and are they reliable? They do seem pricey. No. There's a difference between allergy tests and food intolerance tests, which are two completely different things. And actually, oh. I just put a post up on food intolerance test on Instagram at Sarah Kyo or D because I figured if we're talking about gut today, it will come up. So allergy tests, you go with your GP and they will look at allergies around hay fever, dust and all the rest. So yes, if you haven't done those, definitely do. Food intolerance testing, though, is save your money is probably the quickest thing I can say. The one I see a huge amount of people, um, you know, if I'm doing talks in workplace or whatever, and they're asking about is this IgG testing. And IgG testing is the one where you prick your finger, you put your blood on the card, you send it off and the lab comes back and you get a list of these are your green foods, these are your amber, these are your red. And the problem is people take from that, oh, well, the red foods I have to avoid and the green foods I can eat. But what those tests actually tell you is what you ate a lot of recently. So what turns up in the green is what you ate the most of recently and what turns up in the red is what you ate the least of recently. So self, myself and um, a celiac with the Celiac Society, we did the tests there for an, a video for the Celiac Society there a while ago. And mine came back saying, God, Sarah, you're really intolerant to peanut. And that is because I eat peanut all the time. I have peanut butter on toast for breakfast most days. So I knew that would come in. But what was really good was that the celiac there was green for gluten for her because she doesn't eat gluten. So it was going to come up green for her. So that test was basically saying to her, actually, you're okay for gluten. It would have walked her straight into the train. Well, only that the dietitian is there going, this is why we do these tests. So no, go and see a dietitian. If you've low iron and low B12, 
you're saying scope. Now, you can get scope in both directions. So if that's a regular scope going up, that isn't going to diagnose celiac disease for you. So low B12 and low iron. Now, I'd say chances are if you have that many scopes, you've probably had the one down. But will you just go back to your GP and make sure they have actually biopsied you for celiac disease at some point with it? Other than that, again, will you go and see a dietitian and get your diet checked? You'd be amazed the amount of people who miss iron and miss B12 depending on restrictions in diet. It's actually not that unusual. Um, and just a good look, people are really often surprised how little iron there is. And like I see people saying, oh, I eat broccoli for iron. Well, you're wasting your time. Do you know what I mean? Um, so we've perceptions about iron that aren't actually there. Are you familiar with the lucky iron fish? No. I read about this recently. I thought it was fascinating. A group of Canadians doing research, I think in Cambodia. And one of the issues they had was because of the endemic diet, there was low iron in a lot of the communities. Mm-hmm. And the fish in whatever community they were in is seen as lucky. So what they did was they made fish out, fish ingots out of iron. Brilliant. And they said, put it in the stew Brilliant. for luck. But of course, the iron dissolves into it the stew and a leaches really in. That's a really good idea. I thought it was That's amazing. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, text saying, uh, diverticulitis. Uh, and a question in, res- uh, in respect to that. It's saying, could you please ask about resources in Ireland for diverticulitis? What's diverticulitis? Right. So diverticulitis is a disease of your large bowel where basically you get pockets in the wall of it and then stuff gets stuck in those pockets and then they get infected. So you can have diverticulitis is just when you have it as an infection or you'll be called diverticular disease when you have the pockets but no infection. So Painful, they, I would imagine. Oh, if you, it's a bit like an appendicitis. So if people get rumblings of that, they do need antibiotics, they do need to see their GP. To keep it, to avoid stuff getting stuck in the pockets, it's a high fibre diet. And again, people have no idea how much fibre is in their food. You know, you need about 25 to 35 grams a day. You're getting two grams in an apple. So you've really got to, again, I know I'm saying this back to the dietitian. In terms of resources, you might find stuff on the INDI website. It's the Irish Nutrition and Dietetic Institute, INDI.ie, and they will have some resources around high fibre. But go back to your doctor and get a referral to the dietitian. And um, there's community dietitians there who'd actually, and it's one of those, it's worth that one session to actually just get yourself sorted. I am, you know, it's something I would see a huge amount. By the way, I should say that um, our conversation with Sarah, as with all the items on this show, will be uploaded after the programme as a podcast. So if there is anything that you missed and you want to go back or if there's any detail that you didn't get, you will be able to uh, listen back to it uh, there. A text asking, which is the best nutritious sugar-less or less sugar yogurt diet or ordinary? And the text goes on to say, please don't say Greek. I can't <laughs> stand it. OK, poor yogurt. You are always going to have a bit of sugar on the label in yogurt because it's made from milk. Milk naturally has a sugar called lactose in it. So no matter what yogurt you look at, there's going to be sugar in it. What you're just going to do, if you read the ingredient list, if there's no sugar in the ingredient list, then the sugar in the yogurt is the natural milk sugar that you don't need to worry about. So you are looking at your sort of plain natural yogurts, but any of them, any plain natural yogurt doesn't have to be Greek. Um, they will be the ones with no added sugar, but there'll always be a little bit of sugar in there. So to be and honest, can you get them without sugar? Do they do, they do reduced sugar you from can't the natural really, lactose? If you're going to put milk in, you know, it's going to be there. Yes, some will get them down a little bit more and um, I don't really name brands, but if you have a look, there's one or two that will have kind of a lower sugar on them um, that are out there. But really the natural milk sugar, like you don't need to worry about it. Like we could do a whole day on sugar, um, but we don't need to worry about the lactose. It's absolutely fine. There's a short question that has come in by text, but I suspect it's one you are probably getting a lot. And I think it's one that a lot of medical people are going to get a huge amount of in the coming years, which is... Can you recommend a slimming tablet? No. I, 
you could sit there and say, I wish. I mean, that every like I'm 20 odd years working as a dietitian and every so often a new tablet, a new medication, a new thing has come out. And Are we not on the cusp of a significant change in that area? Huge with the injections at the moment. Really, really huge and very significant with it because I think, and I'm not talking about, you know, people who want to lose a few pounds or this idea that we're all pressured to have this Instagram perfect body or whatever, but people with substantial obesity who really, which is a disease, which is kind of affecting health, where we look at those injections, they're going to be very, very beneficial, I think. And it'll be lovely in a few years when we've more research on that. In terms of tablets, no. Um, I wish there isn't. No, it's it's just not going to work like that. Now, there's some interesting things. Like we know people who drink two cups of green tea a day. It tends to reduce appetite very slightly. We see a little bit of weight loss with it. But I, I'm emphasising like we're talking ounces rather than pounds. We know that if you eat a piece of fruit just before each meal, that also helps um, with weight management. So little tricks like that can be useful. But other than that, no, it's... it's now, is that causation or correlation? Is it just that really healthy people are the green tea types? So they do actually, like nutrition is a real actual science. We take people into metabolic labs and we feed them this stuff and we give them special meals and we don't let them out and all of that sort of stuff. So yes, um, that does work. And and you look at some of the mechanisms with it, which is around some of the flavonoids in tea and things like that. Um, the fruit one is basically slowing you down. Um, like if you've actually had a piece of fruit before you start eating, when you launch into your dinner, you slow and eating slowly, will you'll always eat less. Um, well, isn't isn't this a similar thing that you're meant to drink a whole pile of water before your dinner? That so doesn't that you, work because we've tested that. It doesn't. No, but eating the water does. So that's where the piece of fruit or a salad or something like that works. But drinking water actually doesn't make a blind bit of difference. Quick one because we have to hear what's coming up on down to business. Why do I bloat? This isn't from me. This is a text. <laughs> Why do I bloat when eating mushrooms and onions? Oh, well, that's a good one. I would say, and I'm look. I have to be very careful because I'm not dying diagnosing somebody I've never seen. But mushrooms have a thing in it called mannitol, which quite a few people do bloat to when they eat. And what was the other? Onions have Onions. a lovely thing in it called fructan, which does the same thing. So pro- it's not doing any harm. Now, as again, I can't see this is medical advice, but generally they're two foods. If I'm working with someone with irritable bowel syndrome or bloating, we might have a look at those. But again, go and see a dietitian because there's loads of other foods with mannitol and fructans in them that are probably doing the same thing. One other quickie. Uh, Sarah, I take two Galfer tablets a day for yep. very low iron. Doctor's orders. I also take a well-known expensive powdered multivitamin supplement. Am I wasting my time with the multivitamin? I'm a vegetarian with a great food intake and normal cholesterol. Are they just getting expensive urine? Probably not. It's probably no harm to have a top up. But will you go and get a celiac test if you're on Galfer like that all the time? Loads of like 40% of people who will regularly have low iron have undiagnosed celiac disease. Sarah, always a pleasure. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.